I'm Yasi Salek, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. This episode is presented by Walmart Plus. Walmart Plus is the membership that helps you save on things you expect, plus the things you don't, like free delivery from your store with no markups, gas savings, and even a free Paramount Plus subscription. Start your free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus Essential Plan Only, separate registration required, $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details. Nathan, we've got to start using Apple Cash. Uh, okay. Why? It's so easy and convenient. Apple Cash lives in messages where you and I text all the time. We do. All right. So I can pay you in the convos we're already having, like I do when I bribe you to say nice things about my favorite Taylor Swift songs. You'll never forget a payment or have the money just sitting somewhere collecting dust. You do owe me money from the last time we saw those Taylor and Travis picks, so that is nice. (laughs) And once I've done that, you can use that cash right away. You can buy stuff at a store with Apple Pay. So I don't have to do all the bank transfer stuff then? Nope. It's just right there. It's easy, convenient, and secure. Wait, did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? See how easy that was? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Welcome to an emergency episode of Every Single Album. I'm Nora Princiati. As always, I am joined by Nathan Hubbard, and we are here to discuss Taylor Swift, who is Time's Person of the Year. Nathan, how excited are you? I thought it was Donald Trump for the 10th year in a row. Doesn't he have like (laughs) pictures of himself all over Mar-a-Lago as Time's Man of the Year, even though he only got it once? Yes, well, and Taylor has technically been at least one of the people of the year twice. I do have to say, I'm really amused by the tweets that are like, Taylor, I'm gonna let you finish. But Jerome Powell had the softest landing of all time of all like that really, it really got a chuckle out of me. I sent that to some people and then had to explain it. And I don't know that it, that it's landing for everyone, but I just want to say that that bit is landing for me personally. So, uh, it's just been a fun day on the internet and we felt like we had to react to it. There is, of course, an accompanying profile done by the writer Sam Lansky. It is a piece that I would say the word that comes to me is is comprehensive. I don't know that we delved super deep on every topic, but the profile just sort of hits all the different beats that have been part of the Taylor Swift experience this year and honestly for several years. What did you think of the story, Nathan? I loved it. It reminded me of the piece from earlier in the fall. Who wrote the piece for Taffy's piece? Yes, it reminded me a bit of Taffy's piece from the New York Times Magazine. Yes, except with direct quotes and direct interactions and coffee. Well, and you know what was funny is that one of the access points for the Times story happened after one of the shows in Santa Clara, aka Swifty Clara, which is where. Taffy went and was writing about how she'd been told that Taylor didn't have time to do a profile. And, and Sam Taffy was in the was crowd. 
is it real? Like, is that real? Is that a brush off? Is she mad about something I wrote in the past? Does she actually just literally not have time? And yeah. it was very funny for that to come up again um, because it turns out that she she might have been might have been two timing with another feature writer. Yeah, um, I thought. Mention- look, Taffy's piece has a lot of rich context on the entirety of Taylor's life that is more summarized by Sam's piece. It, he doesn't get into all of the rabbit holes around not, you know, seeing her friends at the mall when they told her that they had plans sure. and how that, right. No one wanted to play with me when I was a little kid. He does touch on the, on the mastermind part, of course, but they're, they're wonderful sort of cousins that, uh, tell the story along with the entire 900 hours of every single album of this woman's life and career. Well, and, and the, the thing that's sort of interesting is like, the Taffy piece, I think, ended up being probably helped by the fact that Taylor didn't participate because if Taylor participates and it's really, really interesting to hear what she says in says to Sam. But yeah. when Taylor says something, it becomes, you know, it's it's hard to not focus on that. And, and for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. But when she's not part of it, it becomes it opens it up more to become about the fans. And what's so interesting about this year and about sort of what the era's concept has has led to is that the line between we, the fans, being sort of retrospective about our own lives and how our fandom has traced the contours of our lives is so blurry with Taylor's eras. And not having her speaking to it, I think, actually helps you think about what it means to the fans to sort of embrace their own memories of of girlhood or growing up and and sort of celebrate in that when you do get the chance to hear directly from Taylor it is very natural and for the better when that's the purpose of the piece that you go straight to oh my gosh we get to hear from the woman herself what she thinks about xyz and she said a lot yes so we were she did through, we were going to go through like the best quotes and at first we were going to do 20, but then I bookmarked like 45. Um, so I have a list of like 12 and change topics that we got words from Taylor on. So I think we should just go through them and just talk about them. I want to do that. But first, I want to acknowledge that for months now, you and I have been talking about how fascinating it is that she doesn't need an intermediary. Like, she does not need media because she is as big of a media empire and entity as exists in the world. But she did this interview, and it wasn't just the trust issues with lots of hmm, conspicuously capitalized letters. It's not just about that, I don't think. But she did this one... Because she still really cares about the reward or the awards and the recognition stuff, doesn't she? Like she cares about the Grammys still. She cares about the first week sales. And I think she understands from a legacy perspective that even though Time Magazine has a circulation of like, I don't know, 17 people, if you add in members of my family who get the magazine... It's still from some sort, you know, it's it's that last vestige of at least something who's 30, someone who's about to be 34 years old, it still feels like it matters, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, and it, it is, it is a, it is a creation, right? It is a media creation. It is, 
entangled with marketing. Of course, it's more exciting to have Taylor Swift on the cover than Jerome Powell or whoever. I don't, I don't mean to be like bringing this up again. Um, <laughs> you just love that. <laughs> yes, you do. It was really funny. You it exactly just really made me laugh. Bring it up. It really made me laugh. And I've, I, I, I sent the joke to some people who were like, what is this? And so I'm just really waiting for the moment when it lands with somebody. And like, I guess I'm still searching for it. But if anybody else thought that tweet was very funny, you know where to find me anyway. So I I think you're right. I think mostly her participation just hinges on the fact that being times person of the year, it's a big deal to her. And it's something that has a lot of reach and it's something that's sort of recorded for posterity and feels like a nice way to honor where she is right now. The other thing is that while I don't think that she needs traditional media really at all, I do think that every once in a while she has this impulse to kind of emerge and say, okay, I've been not really speaking on any of these topics for a long time. And I'm just going to go one by one and tell you how I feel, where my head is, where it was, where it is now. And in that way, the, the profile kind of reminded me of Miss Americana where it's not about one thing. It's sort of like you're going through all of these. There is an arc and a narrative, but you're kind of going through the list of topics that if you follow Taylor Swift over the course of years, you've been kind of interested to hear her speak on. And she's like, okay, I will weave together in kind of narrative form that I'm going to share with a reporter my thoughts on the re-recordings as of now. I'll revisit Kim and Kanye. I will talk about Travis. I will talk about the sort of interreputation period. I will talk about all of these different things. I will um, not talk about Loverfest. Well, please, some journalist, somewhere, somehow, sometime, <laughs> ask her what was planned for Loverfest. Wow, that's a great question. I didn't even think of that, but of course I, I didn't realize that was on your mind. That's a really interesting idea. Um, someone should go do that. Unfortunately, we're probably gonna have to wait like five or six years until she uh, participates in another big Here's journalistic thing, profile again. Nora, what did she tell us from this thing? You can shoot your shot into the ether and it might get you Taylor Swift. So on behalf of both <laughs> of us, On a podcast, you can do that. I just want to say, on behalf of both of us, Taylor, we are here. We are ready. Ask Niall. We're very safe. We're ready. Come on every single album. Yeah, Nathan's apparently just going to ask you about Loverfest. Okay. Let's just... I I want to say one thing before we we dive in, but I really want to dive in, so I'll just say it now. Um, Sam Lansky felt like an intentional choice in that he was uh, the ghostwriter for Britney Spears as The Woman in Me, which I just thought was interesting. I thought that was an interesting way to, you know, he's, he's also written a bunch for time in the past. So um, she's proud of this one. It's pinned now. And yeah, she, these, these are words that they certainly didn't have uh, purview over, but that they were very happy to see. I just thought that was an interesting sort of subtle positioning of herself in the legacy of female pop stars. This moment, the idea of being able to sort of like last through the chaos of stardom, especially when you're young and who's sort of been sacrificed to that chaos and, and her 
pride at feeling like she's made it through, but also understanding of just how difficult that is and how many forces are sort of working against you. So anyway, we're going to talk about all that. But the first thing that I want to talk about is maybe not everybody's headline from this piece, Uh but it is something that I really, really, really wanted to know about. And she finally let us in, which is that we finally got a window into the workout routine for the heiress. Oh, I'm so glad we're going here. Yes. Is there any way? First of all, how long is the set? You saw the show twice. How long is the set? Three and a half hours. Right. Like three hours and 20 minutes. You think she was on a treadmill for three and a half hours a day? Okay. Quite possibly. Oh my God. (laughs) So I don't like she's the thing that's really funny about. So she says that six months ahead of the show, the first show she started training and she would run on the treadmill and sing the set list while she did. But she would be running fast for fast songs, a jog or a walk for a jog or fast walk for slow songs. Which is there is there was like a TikTok trend of doing a workout to there were like different playlists and you would get on a treadmill and listen to a certain playlist and just increase the speed in accordance to what song you were listening to. So I wonder if she was inspired by that. How many times um, do you think she fell on the treadmill like she does in the Apple commercial? In the Apple commercial. <laughs> Face planning. But like that's a zero. lot of time on the treadmill. I mean, first of all. Once again, it all comes back to J.J. Watt, who stood up and was like, let me tell you something. This tour is a physical feat. I cannot even believe that she's up there. I didn't need J.J. Watt to tell me that, but it is a physical feat. This tour is a massive physical feat. Speaking of feet, her talking about her feet going crunch, 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 and her rest uh, part we can come back to as she takes the day off and gets crumbs in her bed. I love that so much. But the, the routine of getting ready for this thing it is fascinating. I mean, I, I I love the sort of self-deprecation around her dancing. She's aware. <laughs> she's she's not like Dua Lipa, blissfully unaware, which is cute. It's that she is aware that she needs a little bit more work to get it into her bones. I mean, this this is massive training that clearly paid off because part of part of just the fascination of watching this show multiple times is you could see there were nights where she was able to dig down and go for the high notes. There were nights where she was too tired to do it sometimes and she wouldn't do the full run, which is just a reminder of just night in, night out, what she actually had to do to physically produce this thing. Well, and she, but this isn't about the workout stuff, but she put that in the context of knowing people put a crap ton of effort into being at the show, getting tickets, and she really wanted to deliver on that, which I think she... I think a three and a half hour show is her way of doing that. It's a pretty good one. What did she uh, say? She doesn't want to tour. She, she previously had toured like a frat guy. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about this. What do you think that means? The text of the piece is in the past swift jokes. She toured, quote, like a frat guy. Like I, she's like pound in Coors Light and her yes, tour bus. I think overlay that with as if we graph all of her lyrical references to partying and getting high, the thing is they really start mostly on reputation, right? And then they go, so it must've been coming out of the reputation tour and probably some of her like coping that we'll talk about that she 
spoke to in great detail, locking herself in a rental house in London for a year and not leaving. So may, maybe London, she picked the up. city that shall not be named. Yeah. Well, she said she she said that she stopped drinking. I, I would like to take issue with that part of it, and I think it's probably <laughs> been misunderstood. But I just scoured the internet for. I mean, I'm thinking about her walking off stage in uh, Los Angeles with a glass of wine on the last night. I'm thinking about her at the award shows with a glass of wine. I'm thinking about her in the Chiefs box, like toasting with the vodka crayons. And I love it. It's fantastic. I'm thinking about the, uh, what was the, it wasn't a Wordle party. What what game were they playing with Questlove and Sudeikis? Oh, it was like adults only Uno. Adult Uno. Yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> but I, she's she's been ingesting things. And I say this tongue in cheek. Of course, she's been clearly taking good care of herself. But it makes me feel better when I'm like, yeah, no, I'm definitely not drinking from the holidays. And then I'm like, oh, I just had a margarita on Saturday night. I guess maybe I am. That's kind of Taylor well, not right. drinking That's, for the so tour. So first of all, I think she was referring to the period of time before the show when she was really training intensely, which actually is how like, that's how an elite athlete trains for the Olympics or for a marathon. It is more intense in the lead up when you're preparing your body to be able to do something, something But like then that. in the middle of the Olympics, you drink a bottle of Chardonnay, get out of here. <laughs> that's actually, first of all, have you ever read a story about what goes on in the Olympic village? Like that that's completely tracks. <laughs> not in between the 200 and the 400. It's I'm after they really finished. I'm really not so sure about That's that. That's when the but baby anyway, making starts at the I Olympics. I, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if in some ways she was working her body more intensely in the run-up because as she said, she was doing it every day. Yeah. And I do believe that there's a way of training for this where you you do that when you're not actually doing the show and then you do the show it was sometimes uh, yeah. more, but let's call it three nights a weekend. And then the rest of the time you are just resting. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I'm going to say More than that, this. though, is the, uh, is the other thing where I do think it's like when you say, I'm not drinking. And right. I'm, <laughs> I'm not drinking at home on a weeknight. <laughs> right. Right. When but it's look, Tuesday. I, I, here's the thing that I, I think I feel comfortable saying in this moment which is that when we got to Los Angeles and I saw the show in Arizona and I was running around the whole stadium sort of trying to take it in in a bunch of different places, not Arizona, Vegas, but I wasn't really watching her as much as I was like the production and the thing. In Los Angeles, I watched her and I mean, she looked strong. Like her body is strong. It is it, it is noticeably different. I mean, she looks like an athlete, right? She, she is looks, an athlete. Yeah, but like... She ran... This is what I'm saying. I really believe her that she ran on a treadmill for three and a half I hours do every too. day I do too. List. It's like when you look at the lower body of an NFL running back and you're like, holy... Like Saquon's quads are astounding. You've seen them, right? Like the guy's I, legs. I have indeed, yes. Yeah, like it, she... That's New York Giants running back Saquon Barkley for, for the yeah. uninitiated who Nathan is referring to. Sorry, but she... Travis Kelsey has a good, you know, tank underneath. Taylor, like, had stability in her lower body is is what She's I noticed at the time. She's incredibly strong. Yeah, yeah. And She's incredibly, incredibly strong. Okay, I, here's the part of this that just I delight in. So we need to talk about this. Uh, 
After she plays a run of shows, this is, I'm quoting from the piece, Swift takes a day to rest and recover. I do not leave my bed except to get food and take it back to my bed and eat it there, she says. And then here's the best part. It's a dream scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so funny because she's a billionaire and she could live like that. There are people with her personal wealth wealth who do live like that. And they've got, you know, Doritos in their bed. For her, she's like, oh, it's just a dream scenario. It's like, Taylor, you could pay five people to just feed you grapes and fan you and like bring one cat after the other into the bed with you. It's fantastic. On the other hand, like, thank God that she is revealing this because you and I forever have been like, the Eras Tour movie was great if you didn't go to the Eras Tour. I think it was great if you went to the Eras Tour, whatever. But we talked about how what we really would have loved to have understood was what went into this. How did she do this? And she told us now what we thought, which is, man, this thing wipes you out even if you've run for three hours a day on a treadmill for six months. And she literally had to lie down and recover in the same way that guess who does that every Monday morning? Travis Kelsey. Yeah, probably a real bonding moment. I'm sure like I, this was so satisfying. I want so much more. Like I want to know what does she have the like infrared sauna, um, Right. Like leg sleeves. Like she exactly. must, she must have a whole setup. cold plunge. But she is might she have like the Tom deep Brady into the method. Cold plunge. Yeah. Recovery, cold plunge tub, everything. I just want to know everything. But, but there also, was a mystery around this athletic feat for her. And that was the thing that I appreciated most out of this article was that insight. I do wonder if like, I wonder if it, it if like it occurred to her more to, to talk about this a little bit because of Travis. Just because, like, I've never heard her sort of bring this up before. And obviously, the Aristor was a different level of physicality. But it's not as though she wasn't working really hard on previous tours, too. So it's it's just so fun to hear her talk about it. I just love it. I want her to do it more. Okay. Number two. Speaking of Travis. Taylor on Travis. Including the quote. This all started when Travis very adorably put me on blast on his podcast. Have I ever heard Taylor Swift say the word podcast before? I don't know. Which I thought was metal as hell. (laughs) It's metal as hell to shoot your shot into the ether on your own podcast. So Dua Lipa. (laughs) What's up? Seriously, we just need to start manifesting a little bit more here. I mean. What's up? I have... Metal? It worked. It worked. I mean, on blast, metal? on blast, and metal are both words that I'm not sure. Like, made it much past COVID, did they? As like regular <laughs> vernacular. <laughs> That's pretty metal. That's pretty metal of you. It's metal yeah, as hell. I haven't heard anyone say that in a long time. I mean, she's redefining words. I think put me on blast is still like, that's that's still going around. It's not even that metal to me sounds dated. It just sounds weird. Like, what does she mean? First of all, putting someone on blast by bringing a friend, by saying she wouldn't meet me to take my friendship bracelet with my number on it. All right, yeah. I mean, yeah. To me, the biggest thing of that part, talking about Travis was, she said, we were a couple. I was like, they're a 
couple. Like that's her word. Not we're together. We're dating. We're a couple. It's very cute. She's just very like, she's very clearly happy to be out and about. That is definitely one of the themes of this. She said, when you say a relationship is public, that means I'm going to see him do what he loves. We're showing up for each other. Other people are there and we don't care. She wants to be Jewel. And I will just come back to what we talked about when Midnight's came out a little over a year ago. Bejeweled was a threat and she is now following through on it. And it's fantastic. And the relationship makes so much more sense with these little snippets of context. And I know we're going to talk about the absolute body bagging of Joe Alwyn that came out of this very subtly. I mean, the number six now means the six years that she dated Joe and was locked in the house at this point, I think. (laughs) But it sure is starting to sound like a low-grade prison internment, more so than a relationship. And the thing that just now sinks for me in my mind is the fishbowl comments from before that she needs somebody who can be in the fishbowl. Like, Travis Kelsey is super comfortable being out, being around a woman who is more wealthy and popular and powerful than he is. He can celebrate that and still have his own career and have it not affect his masculinity. It all makes sense. She just needed a boy who wasn't so deep in his damn feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, What was the, the me locking myself away in a house for a lot of years? I'll never get that time back. Um, No, you won't. That was a toughie. Uh, I don't know that we're getting London Boy as a surprise song anytime soon. I'm not sure. Not sure that's going to make the set list. Okay. Uh, on the Travis subject, feel like I have to shout out Madison and McCall. Just like absolute icons refusing to take the bait. Probably with tree pain, like standing in the corner, holding up pictures of their families and like pointing menacingly at them. But I absolutely loved it and loved that Taylor shouted them out on on her social posts. Just well done. Well done, team. Yeah, they did great. Speaking of Tree Payne, is it interesting to you that we actually heard from Tree Payne only a week ago? <laughs> enough is enough. I mean, seeing Tree Payne pop in, in my Twitter feed, I was like, what, did somebody steal her phone? I mean, we've um, already, I think, extensively documented that Dumois means dumbass in French and that there was a whole lot of bullshit coming from that account. But it it was striking to me to see her feel like in this moment, I need to step forward and shut it down. There was this simmering, boiling stuff as she released You're Losing Me uh, to streaming that, you know, and got the sort of Artist of the Year award from Apple and so on and so forth. There was a lot of simmering Joe stuff that was starting to boil over in the fan base that it seemed maybe triggered this and that, and that this particular poster was just sort of trying to throw red meat and stir shit up. But I don't know. You tell me. I, I really can't. What I know is that I am a fan of tree pain. I like when tree pain is in the For mix. Sure. I just like, I love seeing her kicking butt and taking no prisoners and doing her tree pain thing. I love That's it. That's delightful to me. Yeah. I had a little like if I had had to, if you told me that that happened and hadn't told me what it was that she was contradicting, I definitely wouldn't have listed 
Demois being really weird about the idea that Taylor and Joe were secretly married, which like has always seemed ridiculous on my top 20 list of things that could have made that happen. I guess maybe that means that that's a, that's, that's a real pain point. Um, but I really, I, I don't know. What there I know is that I just, it, I love when trees in the mix. I do too. But I, I also wonder, there are some far corners of the fan base that, as we know, go too far and they get too protective and they, clown in the extreme, although I don't even think it's fair to call that clowning, but starting to write some personal narratives around what might have happened in that relationship. And and, and it, it went beyond there was a secret marriage service. And so I, I think part of Tree stepping in was maybe to just shut all of that speculation down. And the good news I mean, about also- those far corners of the fan base is they sometimes take the message pretty clearly. Yeah. I also wonder if like, Demois is such a, a, is sort of like the core example of the dynamics of today's tabloid culture. Like when Taylor goes out to dinner and she's hanging out and everything is, is a bit of a scene and there are a lot of photos. Yes, if you're a tree and, and your job is to manage some of that, you're thinking about page six, you're thinking about the Daily Mail, whatever. But yeah. like you're really thinking about Demois and you're thinking about the fact that every single person in that restaurant who has a phone, if they get a pick, then they become the paparazzi. And that's just the state of celebrity coverage when everyone has a smartphone. So I wonder if if that outlet's not the right word, but like that account. Yeah. And how fast and loose they can play it because there's just, there are no guardrails and there's no fact checking. There's no verification process. I wonder if like, that's just been an absolute pain and the most over the line thing is the way that, that, that account talks about an alleged secret marriage ceremony. It's just the most out there. It's the weirdest. It's like the easiest to, to contradict. And so the moment, the moment came up and she took it. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a weird thing to like punch back at. Uh, It was the self-assuredness and I will die on the hill. And yeah. Anyway, I was happy to see that has always seemed so fucking bizarre, but like, I, I also think in a weird way, Nora, when you're losing me, there was a real let's beat the shit out of Joe thing that was building. And that post started to accelerate that. And that in a weird way, maybe shooting that down, tamped down some of that buzz in advance a week later of a little bit of bus (laughs) driving (laughs) over the corpse of Joe Alwyn in this, in this interview. I mean, she knows what she's doing, and yeah, I don't think it's I mean, intended look, to be malicious at all. There is at least plausible deniability that, like, it was a rough time, and that six-year period coincided with her coping with all of the post-2016 drama and how much how much pain yes. and, and loss she felt from that. And then 
also like the pandemic, which was just a weird well, that's time right. for everybody. Back to back things now. We know she was hiding out from the world for a few years. And then she started hiding out from a virus. And it really wasn't until the world opened up, I guess, when she... There's this reckoning that appears to have happened over the course of the last, let's call it at most four months, where in spending time with this guy who is so overtly outside and out and about and comfortable in public, and as she says, supporting each other and proud of each other and happy for the world to know that, it seems to have 180'd her perspective on the last six years. And she's she sounds a little bit angry about it. Yeah. I'll never get that time back. I mean, that's a that's a yeah. that, that's a voice of regret. N- not that it's sticking with her now, because what she's really doing is looking forward and living her best life now. And she's as happy and proud as she's ever been of her art. Great. That's where we want you. Even though, as we'll talk about in a moment, we should talk about that quote, because that scares the crap out of me for the future of her art. <laughs> Well, okay. So I'll say one one thing to wrap that up, which is it is a statement of regret. It's a little bit interesting because we've also heard about her talking about, heard her talk about how stepping out of the public eye was deeply necessary and therapeutic sure. and, and she knew it. positive. And, and look, sometimes things can be both, right? Like, and, and you come out of a tough period and the things you had to do to get yourself out of it are forever entangled with why you had to do it in the first place. So even something that was, that was, that represented growth and healing and whatever is still wrapped up in something painful. I don't know. Yeah. But Um, some of this is like Plato's allegory of the cave. Like she's been looking at shadows, staring at the wall of a cave, thinking that was real life in these relationships. And there's a whole sunshine behind her. And it just feels like her eyes have been opened and she's reconciling that. Now she's in the honeymoon phase. We all know that. But I do think this is a different kind of relationship that um, it it feels to me like more than fun. And and that's one of the things when it first started happening. I think you and I both thought, okay, Travis Kelsey's a little corny. He's a little bit of an athlete meathead. Vocabulary, not his thing. Spelling, not his thing. Hey, she's just having fun. She's never had this kind of, you know, this kind of guy in her life. And so maybe it's just a phase. But the more that they get into it, the more it, it feels like, hey, the corniness is actually a match. And the celebration of who she is is something that she's never actually had. I mean, Maddie Healy was at those Nashville shows with his back to the stage. And yeah. that, that must have been painfully familiar. Even put aside all the drama around Maddie. I get it. But like, it, it, it's a very different thing. And it, it just makes a lot of sense. And, and it also, um, it, you know, he's also taken the coaching, right? The way that he's talking about her publicly or now not talking about her publicly. Like he's... He's a very good Labrador, isn't he? <laughs> um, okay. Here's here's a quote that, that I think relates to some of that, uh, which is Taylor on football and on her being shown at football games. She says, I'm just there to support Travis. I have no awareness of if I'm being shown too much and pissing off a few dads, brads, and chads. Tough day for brads and chads. You think Bradley Cooper's like? She said that. That is the corny. Like, talk about why are you busting me open? (laughs) Dads, Brads, and Chads. 
I cannot imagine a person saying that in real life, but I absolutely believe that she says that. There is a fan account that just had said something to the extent of dads, brads, and chads are getting mad about Taylor being at football games who just (gasps) retweeted their own thing and was like, I'm sorry, what? And so I think she probably saw that tweet. Mastermind. She's a mastermind. A hundred percent. She just adopted the language and here we are. Okay. But I mean, Bradley Cooper's got to be sitting there like, I I gave you my house, like my apartment. (laughs) We're trading, we're house trading and you're killing Brad's. I get Chad. Bradley Cooper, I think is, is like making cheesesteaks in Nolita or something I saw on Instagram this afternoon. I'm sure he's fine. I just, dad's brads and chads. Dad's brads and chads. Dad's brads and chads. I think I'm going to start saying it. (laughs) Can I rant for a sec? Uh, Yes, please, Nora. You know I love when you do. Pay apps are way too public. Uh Uh-oh. What happened? Okay, so some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history who I'm paying. Full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it is super weird. Well, how are you going to pay your friends then? I'm asking for a friend. Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Okay. Benjamin Button was on the cover of Time Magazine. I feel that we must address this. Let's do it. Benjamin Button was on the cover of Time Magazine. Benjamin Button the cat was on the cover of Time Magazine. That's the only cat that knows how to act. The That's other two, the only cat that knows how to sit still. Right. The other I mean, two are complete I mean, you remember Meredith and lunatics. Olivia in the, the, the promo, the 1989 promo. Like... Useless. They, they, they're, they might as well be over. toddlers. No, they're, just, they're independent. They're independent women. No. Benjamin Button. Benjamin Button is the Travis Kelsey of cats. Benjamin That's Button correct. is just like, yo, Taylor, I'm happy to be here. I'm going to sit around your neck and I'm going to pose for the camera. You want blue steel? I'll give you blue steel. 
that's exactly what's going on is Benjamin Button is just the only one who knows how to sit still. Do you think the back of her neck was completely scratched because she tried with Meredith and or Olivia and they just <laughs> fucking destroyed her? And she was like, I'm trying to do this like message of female empowerment. I'll have yeah. one of the girl cats. And then she's just got like blood gushing down her back. Yeah. And, she's and like, they're All like, right. fuck it. Get the floppy one. Get the floppy one. Oh, he's so cute. But I think he really I was think- giving blue steel. The backstory that I read was there's a book from the 70s called Cat People that was like, yeah, where there were photographs of people and it was sort of intended to show the humanity, but also the power and like she's carrying the weight of the world, but doing it with strength and that photo nails it pretty well. I just love seeing Benji. He's so cute. Okay, moving on. From Cats to Revenge. I've also learned there's no point in actively trying to quote unquote defeat your enemies. Trash takes itself out every single time. Best quote Taylor of the whole Swift. piece. Best could, quote. Could have been the whole thing. I mean, can we I mean, please get a song called Trash? <laughs> Karma is a cat and trash is well, an illegally recorded phone call, perhaps. What I don't a wonder. Know. And What I forgot is that not only was this like the biggest year by far, right? We knew she was a big star, but this is since since a year ago when the last time we really heard from her doing the interviews and the traditional press around Midnight's, like she just has taken a completely different leap. But I forgot, I didn't really put together that all of her enemies sort of fell apart this year too. Right, the scooter. Oh, I did not forget that undoing the Kanye stuff. I just I, I, all of the the positive noise. I just sort of forgot that twenty twenty three was also the year when all that happened, when all the trash took itself out. I would be very nervous if I was Kim Kardashian with three weeks left in twenty twenty three right now. Well, I mean, look, Kim seems like she has been trying to get. I don't know if it's fully in the good graces or just let bygones be bygones or whatever, but she's, you know, she's posted stuff on Instagram where she's using Taylor Swift songs in the background and, and she's talked about the phone call as something that she, I'm paraphrasing, but she's framed it as something that she had to do for Kanye and sort yeah. of tried to distance herself from that. No, let me ask um, you, how's that working out for her? Yeah, pretty badly. Uh, so Taylor says, you have a fully manufactured frame job in an illegally recorded phone call, which Kim Kardashian, full name, full name, Time Magazine Person of the Year article, full name, edited and then put out to say to everyone that I was a liar. There's only one way that could have been more of a body bagging, and it would be if she didn't use the full name and just said, Miss Kardashian. <laughs> like she was a like, defendant in a lawsuit. I mean, but that's what this is like. It is so that is precise language. Precise, and there is, and everything, everything in that in that sentence is stone cold true. Straight up, and facts. she's just not beating around the bush. She just says facts. exactly what happened. I spice and facts. It's a little spicy, but it's powerful, and facts. I don't know that we're going to be seeing a seeing similar. Any similar Instagram stories popping up? Um, I mean, using look, some deep cuts from folklore or whatever it was. I want to come back to the 
Tom Brady thing that I know you're going to throw out the window, but this one, no one carries a grudge like this woman. No one uses the narrative of her life and shapes it in a way to fuel her energy. Not that she lives on anger, but Brady tells, you know, tells those stories about how he would invent something or he'd read a quote and he'd use that to go out and be at his best. And the thing that I admire most about this woman, you remember when she was turning 30, how she talked about, I have to take advantage of this while I can. And she even speaks in this story to how she felt like the record labels were constantly trying to replace her. And that that's why she kept having to evolve because it's hard to hit a moving target. And so I, I think she does, it is a fascinating insight into her psyche, into how she still holds on to these things that in one way or another fuel either the energy and the am ambition and the drive and will to go get on the treadmill for three hours or to keep making music however many albums in, depending on whether you count the originals or or, or the re-records as, as the entirety of her catalog. And I think you have to count the re-records. But like, there just are not that many artists who historically make meaningful, world-changing art at this age. They're usually in their 20s. They're usually in their teens. And I think she makes a, a really good point about how some of that, I mean, there is something sort of, uh, it's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate byproduct of our cultural obsession with youth is that the people that we put on these pedestals are just not emotionally or psychologically mature enough to handle it. But it also speaks, I think, to something that's really true about her. I actually, I think the Brady comp is really, is a good one. I think about him with her. I also, I think about LeBron a lot, I think can be a very good, is like an interesting parallel, just as these cultural figures who have been dominant for so long. And sometimes seem to rub certain people the wrong way. But then at a certain point you look back and go like, okay, what is the, like this Can't person has that. worked incredibly hard for years and years and years, accomplished things that no one has done before. And the worst that you can say about this person is like, they're kind of corny and it bugs you sometimes. Right. So there are these, these, sometimes I do think that those examples of like really special athletes are actually very good comparisons because there is, you kind of have to be the type of person who doesn't let go of those things. Yeah. Because if you're not, then, then why don't you want to just be, why don't you want to just be like a billionaire getting fed Dorito crumbs in your bed well, all the time? Like there has to be something that makes you when there's nothing like in some ways she has nothing she doesn't need anything that she doesn't already have. No. But something has to drive her to get up and do this all over again. And, and to stay out on tour for two years. Like, yes. She doesn't have to do that. And a lot of people would not want to do it. Yes. Most people don't. And, and so that's the interesting part about the narrative. Because this quote to me, there's two ways to go with it. She said, it's not lost on me that the two great catalysts for this happening were two horrendous things that happened to me. The first was getting canceled within an inch of my life and sanity. The second was having my life's work taken away from me by someone who hates me. Those are intensely passionate, big words. And on the one hand, you can say, well, she's just being dramatic. 
but no one knows what it must have felt like to be in that moment as one of the most famous people on the planet being attacked by two of the other most famous people on the planet with one of the biggest pieces of mis-slash-disinformation of the 2010s. Like, it was a massive emotional burden, and I don't think you can roll your eyes and go, oh, she's famous and she's rich, but you just don't know what it feels like to have the whole world online and off coming at you. And then secondarily, you do not know what it means to be an artist to create something that feels like it is one of your children. Right. That's how passionately many artists feel about their art. So I I think this is not over-dramatization, but I, I also think she still taps into these reserves to fuel her. And I think like the football coaches or personnel people talk about this a lot with athletes. It's like, and, and this is not a, this, it's not a knock on people who fall into different categories here because it's really, really natural, but it is often, you know, a thing that, that coaches often try to suss out in prospects is if they love the success of being a great athlete, or the which can be lucrative. It can be high profile. It can be a fun thing to, you know, you go back to your hometown and, and you're playing in the NFL right. and it feels really good to tell people that. And then there are players who are actively and actually obsessed with the game the and with playing it yep. and who kind of can't live without it. Yeah. And I think she's one of those. And she I loves think the players, the, but you love the game. <laughs> I think the the when she describes that moment as what she felt like was a quote career death is the most revealing of what the stakes were. Yeah. And she felt like, yes, I mean, even if even if she'd been right and even if Taylor Swift had never been seen or heard from again, she would be comfortable and taken care of for the rest of her life. And if she had kids, they probably would be too. And that's, that's all fine. And she's very lucky that that's true. And she is insulated from a lot of consequences that exist in the real world. That said, that would be, that is a death to her. And I really, really believe she feels that way. If she had never been able to to produce and work and write and process her own life like that, I really do believe that like she just couldn't she, she couldn't do it. And so it makes I, sense that it was such a big deal. I agree. And the happy and proudest I've ever been quote scares the shit out of me. Because Particularly now with her reflection and the way she's framing the last six years, she was artistically tortured through that period as well. We were all telling ourselves, oh, love her and Joe and she's happy and that's why she's producing all of this content in such frequency. But the end of you're losing me, like I wouldn't marry me either. Uh, there is this ongoing nagging thing that has been driving her art complacency and happiness and satisfaction in many, many cases in the music industry is the enemy of great art. Most of those artists who start out huge, who get fat and happy and wealthy, do not end up making their best albums in their 40s. Now, 
this is a different kind of artist who, again, uses this fuel in the same way that Tom Brady did well into his 40s to be great until his body gave out. She has a body that she has to look after for her live performance. She also has sort of like a soul that she has to nurture to to produce this this writing and content. But if she is, in fact, in a place that is different emotionally than where she's ever been in her life, it's going to be interesting to see the impact it has on her content It just it, and the art that she creates. I'm fascinated to see it. Maybe because of who she is, she is always going to create again and again and again and just tap into these life experiences. But it does, again, feel like she's in a completely new space in her life ever, and I, I don't know what it means for her art. I mean, look... I, I hope she is very, very happy. Just not too I would happy. Say, I would <laughs> say that I would say that life has a way of you know, even if even if you're in a great relationship, even if she's super happy, like there always tends to be some shit around the corner that you gotta deal with eventually. I, I think the two it's interesting that the two events that she describes, they're not relationship events. They're not about guys. They're really about her business. Um, and so I, I just, I don't know. I really, I have a hard time worrying about her finding interesting personal experiences and feelings to sort of mine for work. I suppose what could happen is if she, you know, wants to have a family and settle down, there just might not be a lot of time, but we'll, she deserves to live the life she wants and we can cross that bridge when we come to it. But I hear you. We're going to find out. It's a very, I'm thrilled for her, but she has convinced me that she's in a very new place mentally, emotionally, psychologically than she's been in other points in her life and that she's thrilled to be there. How does it affect uh, her art? Yeah. I suppose to your point, although what I was going to say is like, look, Taylor Swift is one of the great synthesizers of feeling of all time. We are not always the best assessors of ourselves. And there are some things she says that I, I found interesting just from that, that context in particular that she, when she was talking about kind of the end of her relationship with big machine and leading into the, the re-recordings drama, she made it seem like she was already, she was sort of broadly unhappy there for a number of reasons. And then the re-recordings, um, or not the re-recordings, but the sale of the masters really kind of exploded it. Uh, but she said that the molecular chemistry of that old label is that every creative choice I wanted to make was second guessed. I was really overthinking these albums. And, and so I read that and I thought really overthinking these albums. Okay. What albums? The last two albums she made there were 1989 and reputation. Hmm. That's what happens when Taylor Swift is overthinking. I mean, I don't want her to feel like that, but it's not as though the results are bad. No. They're not. I, I just wonder if that, to me, felt more like the feedback that she was getting from her label than it driveling all the way through into the creative process. But again, I think she she has constantly been seeking to be in a place where she is free to do whatever she wants with her art. And Universal had the cash and the market share goals to be able to just say, just come do it here. I'm not, I'm not sure okay. any other record label would have done anything different. It's just that Universal was the biggest and they could activate her around the world and they probably could give her the best possible deal because 
um, because they had such a track record of, of being able to, to give artists that freedom. They also had Lucian Grange, um, who said this, she could serve two terms as president of the United States and then go to Las Vegas. Who else can do that? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I have, there's no, like, this is neither here nor there. I just, yeah. I, I think we need to. <laughs> Honestly, the answer is Trump. <laughs> if we're not <laughs> careful, the answer is Trump. Don't, as we've learned the consequences of podcast manifesting, don't speak that into existence. I just, I really love an executive saying something completely unhinged to a reporter and just like rolling through with it. I, I, it's no fine. notes. It's fine. Um, okay. Taylor on the United Kingdom. We talked about this. I moved to a foreign country and lived in a rental house for a year. But there is like a what was I doing part of that commentary, isn't there? I suppose. I mean. She's not calling herself, whatever it is, psychotic, like she did suggesting that they hard launched at the first game. But she's she's indicating that with some reflection that that, in hindsight, feels like a crazy thing to have done. Which the rest of us, we were like, well, she just loves this guy who's British. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's not as though that was like, it wasn't totally out of left field. I believe she thought, didn't she think about moving to London before she moved to New York for 1989? And then, uh, you know, Joe was not the first Brit. Yeah, she didn't um, move to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. There was the there was the Union Jack outfit a la Jerry Hallowell. Like, uh, I think, Maybe this is like a little bit, this is maybe an artifact of the moment. And yeah. and someday Taylor will come to terms with the fact that like, in some ways, she's maybe a bit of an Anglophile, but is re-examining some of that, perhaps. I don't know. She had Idris Elba, like, talking about a scooter. We we can't completely paper over this this chapter. We've talked a lot about Joe on here. You and I laughed about our, I mean, our running bit was he's an actor that, uh, you know, was just in reference to, it felt like maybe he didn't have as, as, as much going on as she, uh, had a lot going on at the moment. But I, I think what I want to understand from you is when you look at the data points from the last few weeks, the fan base sort of chomping at the bit fairly unfairly to sort of gnash their teeth at anybody who they perceive to be the bad guy. But all that aside, the re-release of You're Losing Me and the Dumois thing and this, the, some of the language from this interview, does it feel to you like something was going on behind the scenes or that there was some uh, residual emotion? D did something happen with Joe? What do you, I don't, I don't know what you recently, mean by that. Like, did, recently, they're just, there's been a lot of Joe stuff of late. I sort of would have expected there to be no Joe stuff because she's deep into this new relationship. Uh, she seems happy. They were happy. together for six years. Yeah. But is it, I, I, and now I may be just tin hat conspiracy theorying. I just feel like there's a lot of Joe smoke out there over the last four weeks. So, it, so you think that like, 
he like was he behind the scenes maybe dropping some stories or or trying to sort of repair public image and that that's why there's been some of this over the top stuff do you think I remember reading some of that it, like there was some tabloid stuff no about idea. that like I right just, when they broke up I I just think that they dated for 6 years and yeah, they yeah. haven't been broken up for that long in the grand scheme of things and if she were not still feeling some of the sting of that, she would probably be the first person in history. Fair enough. And that's my read on it, is that, again, there's some allegory of the cave stuff where she's like, whoa, this is what sunshine actually looks and feels like. And there's some feelings that stuff that come up for that. Yeah. I mean, again, she has a lot of feelings. She's very good at processing them. It, It does seem like there's a lot of ability to sort of conflate. I'm not saying she's doing this, but the, 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 it's sometimes hard to know when she's talking about that relationship, when she's talking about the pandemic and just being cooped up because of that, when she's talking about being cooped up because of everything post 2016. And so I want to be careful that like, I think it's easy to think that she's saying he wouldn't let me bejeweled. Right. He kept me in a in a cage. But that's where the fan base is right now. Yeah, everyone's got to calm down a little bit. But like, what else? Okay, but so that's an important message is calm down a little bit. She'll tell us what she's telling us. I do think in this article, when she uses the six years, which is the same yes. amount of we time know. that we she know is what the talking six about. Means. We know what six means. Uh, that feels like code. Yeah, no. I mean, it's impossible to miss that. Yeah. And, um, and the hard work that you and I have to do on this hard work, the the work that you and I have to do on this pod always is so to hard. parse the difference between like going deep on the speculative sort of Dumois bullshit about her personal relationship, letting her have her space. Because again, there are parts of the fan base that just run and frolic too wild in that and actually feel ownership of it, which is a weird, like bad part of stand culture. But But where it actually impacts her art and her narrative and the full story, like it's important to talk about, right? And so much of her music, it, it is not a coincidence that You're Losing Me came out. Like there is uh, th- there is a whole lot to that story and Jack Antonoff talking about the timeline around it and suggesting that it was written at the end of December 5th, 2021, which adds whole new heat After and fire. After Taylor ate raisins. 50 raisins and drank sparkling water and got like a mean old case of the farts and just got grumpy and wrote this song. It just, I, I there's a lot to it where we want to try to stay away from the, uh, you know, speculative relational stuff, which is hard to do, but it is important as it relates to her art because those two things are so deeply entangled. Well, and that's, I mean, that's what, that's what a lot of this piece is about, right? Is like the, the work that she's done and centered through eras being this phenomenon that kind of celebrates and acknowledges and acknowledges as valid all of the feelings of growing up and of, of maybe of being a woman, but I think just being a person and of going through life and, and love and loss and, all of those, all of those sort of deeply felt moments that young people, young women are often told don't matter and shouldn't make them feel the way they do. 
Taylor Swift's superpower is that she's told an entire generation that those things do matter. And to some degree, like she's just she's she's living that in this profile. She's yeah. when Kim Kardashian comes up, it would be very rational in some ways and it would be very like unsurprising and probably something that certain elements of of media and culture would praise her for if she quote unquote took the high road and said, yeah. oh, well, you know, it's in the past and I'm I'm moving on. I'm sure she would get a lot of flowers for that. And there's something kind of messed up about that because what? They lied about her and it came with real consequences from her. What, she's not supposed to be hurt by it. And the fact that she just says what happened is, I think, related to the the thing that has made this tour and the kind of reflection on youth and growth that she's worked into the tour and into the re-recordings project that's been so powerful. So centering the scars and being very forthright about the things that sting and hurt and that she's maybe still a little petty about and where yeah. it's still something that drives her, like, it just makes a lot of sense to me. And I, th- I think it's I think it's honest, even if like Taylor Swift will never do another interview in her life that is not managed and sort of curated in certain ways. And I'm sure they were very careful with the selection and yeah. what access was given and what wasn't and blah, 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 blah. But I think like I, there's a truth to just saying the things that still hurt. And I think it comes through. And that's why this interview really in hindsight is so important. I, our, our mutual boss, Bill Simmons edited a piece that I wrote in 2015 where I said, Taylor's 2015 was on par with the Beatles in 1964, Elvis Presley in 1956, and Michael Jackson in 1983. And like we went through and laid out the case for each of those four years. This year is so much bigger than all four of those years that that's the perspective. Just like I don't know that anyone has been at this level of stardom. And I don't mean hyperbole, just on, on the music side of things, I'm not sure there's been as impactful a year in music, um, especially in a moment of division and cultural stuff all over the world. It's just a fascinating moment in time to hear directly from the source where she is. Was there anything about this interview that disappointed you? Um, well, Yes what the fuck is in the hole in the stage? I mean, come on. She's oh. guarding that secret. Like, uh, like Fort Knox. I mean, I just, just tell us. Maybe ball maybe pit. we have to wait until the tour is over. Like, is it a ball pit? I just want to know. That's all I want to know. Gymnastics foam. Fine. I don't know. T- tell me what it is. Um. No, I, look, I, I don't know. There's. Did it feel too curated and like like controlled or managed? I just don't know that there's like I I don't think that the that the alternative exists. No, that's the point. So at the end of the piece, when when Sam is writing and Sam is sort of like, I had this. I wondered if I should ask if I should bring up the fact that like in these moments that she's describe describing as feeling so low. 
right. it didn't always look like it. She had right. number one hits. She had all this success. Right. And then I didn't ask it. That's I, I when I read that for the first time, I was kind of like, oh, that is an that is an interesting thing to admit. That's as an journalist. interesting confession, isn't it? Yeah. Because we've all like, you know, I've interviewed people for for profiles before. And there's always a balancing act of like, sometimes it does feel in your best interest to not ask certain things. You don't want to you don't want to blow up an interview. You don't want to completely lose the trust of, of a person. But, you know, you want to get as much raw truth out of someone. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. And it's usually not a point of pride to say, I had this idea that maybe I should ask about this, but it might have been a little controversial. And then I didn't. Huh. And so I was a little torn on if I bought his explanation, because I do think that there is something because when when because the piece goes on to say. Her, the point is that her feelings are valid. The point is that when she, that she felt that way and that that's truth. Yep. And that questioning yep. that yeah is participatory in in the same structures that made her feel that way yes and and as we spoke about before we don't actually know what it feels like to have the whole world with a sword pointed at you right we don't know it's not the same i i i, I you'll have to come back to me in like a month or something because i still feel a little unsure of where I actually come down on that point, because I think the point is valid. And I don't know that that exactly is the question that I feel like needed to be asked or something like that, because I actually feel like I have a pretty clear picture of like, yes, Taylor Swift can be having number one hits and, and all of that and still feeling really shitty about what's, what's happening to her in public. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me. That feels like pretty settled business. Um, but I, it, it just, it did strike me as, as kind of a window into what profile writing is like now, but in general, yeah, I was, I, I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was well done. It just had a lot of her uh, which I think was the right way to do it. Again, it covered a lot of territory. So I don't know that there was a ton of like a ton of depth. You don't get a lot of anecdotes. Yeah. There's a lot of just like the Kenny Chesney story is pretty cool. The Kenny Chesney story is really, really good. Uh, but I don't think that it's a mis- it's a an accident. He jumped that... right on that shit on social. Yeah. Glad everybody else but that sees story what I was saw. really old. Yeah. So we didn't there was not a lot of there was a lot of here's the context around where her career was in a certain moment and what happened broadly. Here's Taylor Swift addressing it and saying what she thinks about it. There's not a ton of, here's an example of something that happened that shows but doesn't tell. I just don't know that that's super possible with her. So I don't want to, I don't want to, like normally that is something that you would want out of a celebrity profile, but I I just don't know that it's really within the realm of possibility with someone on her scale. I'm just not sure there is anyone on her scale at this point. And that's what's fascinating about the way that this interview was conducted and the info she did give and the info she left out. I I have to just ask you this question and I, I am not trying to be cute because I understand the sensitivity around Ronan, the song. But Ronan is a song that we never would expect to hear live. 
Do you think London Boy is up there now? Is there anything else in her catalog that is off limits? Um, I mean, look, everybody felt like we weren't going to get Cornelia Street until we did. Yeah. I I don't I think she can I I have a feeling we'll hear it at some point. I, it's a, it's kind of a hard song to sing acoustic just to be clear. Yeah, it's also like, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, the Cornelia Street conversation was in some ways made more sense, right? Like it's it's more emotional. London Boy is, although maybe it works the opposite way. Maybe it's like, it's so silly that if you can't sell the jokes of it, it just yeah. doesn't work. I bet, well, it's a long tour. She's got a lot of surprise song sets. So I, I guess I would say that at some point we will hear it. She does, of course, have some performances in London. Uh, yeah. So she can't swear off the city entirely. And maybe that means she won't swear I off know. the song I mean, entirely. Like delicate. There's lots of songs that are like him oriented. Anyway, I just was wondering if you thought that it had become the third rail. William Bowery is credited in the Eras Tour movie. Like it's it's not, you know, we have not, there's not full erasure. It's not possible. And it doesn't seem like, to me at least, that that's what she's going for. Um, may I? Just Please. so that we do not miss it, since we are addressing Joe, who I'm told is an actor, and actors are sometimes in movies. Uh, I just I would be remiss if we did not cover what I'm going to call Taylor on the movies. Oh, boy. Um, You're going to talk start- about Gandalf. Well, okay. Let's do that first. <laughs> Here's the quote. The re-recordings project feels like a mythical quest to her. I'm collecting horcruxes, she says. I'm collecting infinity stones. Gandalf's voice is in my head every time I put out a new one. For me, it is a movie now. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it what means. What is either. Gandalf saying, Taylor? I just what is he saying to you? You shall not pass, right? I mean, is that it? Like, I just, just like don't a know. power of yeah. I, <laughs> Also, do you think she's seen a movie? I mean, the references, as as producer Kaya pointed out, are a somewhat dated, although I guess the Mastermind reference wasn't bad. But Yeah, so the Mastermind reference, let's just talk about that out. Uh, she tells me that she wrote that song after watching the Paul Thomas Anderson film Phantom Thread, which, spoiler, culminates in the reveal of a vast layered manipulation. Remember that last scene, she says? I thought, wouldn't it be fun to have a lyric about being calculated? I think at the time I was pretty adamant that I felt like that was autobiographical and not tongue in cheek and that it was serious. And I, I, I feel good about that take in this moment. Same. But I also like, somehow I think both can be true. I definitely think it is autobiographical, but I also believe that on some level this happened. Finally, She says, and you brought up this quote before, this is the proudest and happiest I've ever felt and the most creatively fulfilled and free I've ever been. Ultimately, we can convolute it all we want or try to overcomplicate it, but there's only one question. Here, she adopts a booming voice. Are you not entertained? (laughs) Which I believe is from Gladiator. Yes, it is. Like, what is her deal? Again, a movie is, where the hero falls. What is going through Laura Dern's and... head when they're out to dinner at Il Buco Elementary 
And Taylor Swift is just like dropping gladiator references left and right. That one might have so come funny. from Travis. That one could have come from Travis. Like if there's well, two Travis, things Travis really knows. Into, Travis is super into like early Adam Sandler movies. Right. He knows Adam Sandler movies. He probably knows any big fighting movies. And he knows the entire Beastie Boys catalog. And it seems like he kind of knows most of Taylor Swift's catalog at this point. Yeah. I, I guess it's sort of a... Yeah, Kaya was right to point out that like she's just very millennial in this. And that's very fun. Even though I, I didn't understand what was getting convoluted or overcomplicated. Just like the meaning of her year uh, in the era's maybe? I think, yeah. I almost feel like that was a phrase that she'd been working for a song or something. I didn't get well, the overcomplicated thing. And she was just... I think she really wanted to do the, the, the impression. The Russell Crowe okay. impression. Okay. So, so the, I want to talk about, cause she, the last thing that we need to talk about is Taylor on reputation, Taylor's version. Yes. But because you brought that up, I, I do want to ask you if you think that there were any Easter eggs, either in the profile or like trust issues with the weird capital letters. Yes. I, I think the, in the piece, she intentionally says that the reputation vault tracks are fire. So first of all, there are reputation vault tracks. And also, she, I'm sure that t- uh, that Travis calls things fire all the time. I'm 100% true. Percent. Sure. That like every other sentence, he's like, yeah, that's fire, babe. That's and, so fire. And that he picked These it up These nachos from are Pat so Mahomes. fire. That's that's fire. That's fire. That's actually a decent Mahomes. I think she is guiding us that way. Remember what she said about the 1989 vault tracks, that they were her favorite. So I think she's excited about them. She also knows that it's these vault tracks that sell and draw the attention. So she's shining a light on them, but she's uh, you know, she's I'm glad to hear her opinion. Yes, I think she looked at the words trust issues and her weird ass mind saw a whole lot of S's and was like, eh, here's a chance for me to just make people chat. I'm going to capitalize the R because, yes, trust issues with the the sort of memefied lowercase, uppercase le- letters sort of is... Well, she's trying to make it a like way a to make fun serious. and crazy and less serious. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, being she's self-deprecating. She's trying to say, like, look, I've been burned and I'm a, little, I'm a little skittish around this rather than, like, I have trauma related to... Yeah. Um, I, I will say I refused to clown that she was announcing reputation the last night in Brazil, there was, in my mind, there was no way she was doing that, especially after the terrible incident with the the fan. Uh, it just was not the right stage. I don't think to she do was it. planned planning no to. No way. Anyway. No way. But I think that is a subtle nod to the rep clowns in its own way. She knows what she's doing. I do, however, think that there was one huge reputation Easter egg. Okay. Which is that her aesthetic in the photos is reputation era. Yeah. We have not, the last time we saw this woman's upper forehead was the reputation album cover. And, and yet here we have the bangs have been pushed back. They've been swept away and it has not happened since that album cover. Well, it happened a little bit when, the static electricity in the desert shows got to her and that no, hair stood up like no, she put you're, her finger. You're, you, I'm like putting my hand over my camera. You're, you're not allowed to make hair comments. We're taking your mic away. 
intentionally, she has not she has not done this since the Reputation album cover. I thought the photos were very reminiscent of that shoot. And I wouldn't be surprised if we actually just saw if in one of these images we saw there's the one in particular that actually looks a lot like the original rep album cover that's just of her face and she has the red lip. I, I would not be shocked if that ends up being the Taylor's version album cover. I can't believe that you won't let me talk about her hair. I'm not no, that not surprised. Am I allowed to talk about Beyonce's hair and the discussion of Beyonce in here and what I thought was just a wonderful rise above it all going to shut down any online chatter trying to pit two strong women against each other by showing up for each other at their movie premieres and her flying what seemed like from Kansas City to London and London to Green Bay, basically, to watch a football game, but to be there. And how in this article, she just finds a way to communicate what is different and unique about Beyonce as an artist and as a legacy for other female artists. I, I really love the words in this one, and I love the way that they have uh, silenced the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's funny. It seemed like she really like paid attention to the ways in which they were those tours were compared, which they definitely were. I think some of it was more like these are just the two elements of of these are the two huge tours of the summer. Right. Um, but it was fun to see her celebrate that. I loved that she it was so fun to see her in London with Blake Lively. Also, Ryan Reynolds. Funny man. Just a funny man. Still got it. Still got it. All right. Any any other little nuggets that we need to cover before we get out of here? No. I mean, it's not even her You're birthday. not interested in the fact that Taylor Swift has a Stevie Nicks Barbie that sits boxed in her kitchen? Couldn't be less surprised that Stevie Nicks is sending Stevie Nicks Barbies to people. <laughs> sending Stevie Nicks Barbies. That was like, honestly, there are really important pieces of, of this article. To me, if there's one that I cannot live without, it is the clause sent to her by the artist in the sentence about the Stevie Nicks Barbie. Well, how about I think the, that's wonderful. How about that there's the lyrics to one of the greatest songs ever written, Blackbird, in her bathroom? I mean, yeah, what else has she got up in the rest of the house? Yeah, but bathroom is about scale. And also, like, not, you know, not to be... Because when you have small... Yeah, like, impressions. A, frequency of impressions. Well, right. And she has a huge... Like, she has big real estate. You have big walls. You need, like, large format pieces. It's hard to figure out where you put, like, a little thing. Goes in a bathroom. And, yeah, let's be honest. Everybody uses it. And you're sitting there and you need something to look at. And... Yeah. It's a reminder Handwritten Paul. Paul McCartney lyrics... I think it works. If I had to pee, I'd probably sit while I peed in her bathroom just to look at those. Yeah, totally. Maybe we should end the pod there. We probably should have ended it before that observation. We're here never we going to get invited to pee at Taylor Swift's house after this podcast. That's for sure. Go read the piece, compare it to Taffy's piece, and you get what is unequivocally the best year in the history of any individual music artist. Very cool. This has been Every Single Album. I'm Nora Princiati. As always, he is Nathan Hubbard. Thank you to the fabulous, the wonderful, the exceptional, our hero, Kaya McMullen, for producing this episode and so many others. We'll talk to you soon. 
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.